Sacred love songs to witness and you know pray and get rid of my soul and all those other things. They were all written with a, a secret intention to be singable and playable by any religion I'm aware of. So I actually specifically tried to use language that wouldn't make anyone want to run screaming from the room. And uh, I've had one moment with when I pray where it was uh, like mission accomplished, where I did a, I sang one power at a concert with five choirs from five different religions. And it didn't occur to them to sing a song together. You know what I mean? Each one of them sang in their own liturgy. And I just suggested, any chance you'd be open to all the choirs singing a song together? And the director said, sure, but what song? I said, I've got one. And I, <laughs> and I taught them. When I pray, absolutely proof of concept. Nobody was bothered by what they were singing. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's my little, uh, little attempt in a kid's program. So here you go. That's my segment on prayer. I feel my love. 
as we begin our time of meditation, let's relax and settle into our seats, removing things from our laps, closing our eyes if that's comfortable, and becoming aware of the breath. Take a deep cleansing breath, breathe in peace, exhale and breathe out any burdens from the past or concerns for the future. Focus in on being here in this present moment. We recall the daily word for today, use the word flow. So let's take that word in your mind's eye and imagine sitting in the warm sunshine on lush green grass by a gently flowing stream. You hear the trickle of the water nearby as it glides over the pebbles and rocks, and you see the ripples of clear, cool water drifting by. As you sit in quiet contemplation, you realize that you don't know the source of the water, where maybe hundreds of miles upstream it began as a spring pouring out of an aquifer deep underground. But you don't need to know. You also don't know where the stream is going. Perhaps downstream, becoming a rushing river on its way to the ocean. But you don't need to know. All you need to know is what's in front of you, how the stream flows gently by, unimpeded on its journey. The water is constantly renewing, never the same, moment to moment, always open to newness and change. You realize this is how life is, and more importantly, how love is. Within you is a deep wellspring of love pouring forth through you as a divine being, a magnificent creation of God and an instrument of love. You can't pinpoint its source, nor do you always know where it's going or its effects, especially when you allow it to flow unimpeded in, through, and as you. Feel that love flowing through you now and out into the world, a world always in need of more love. Feel that love flowing as you and notice how freeing this is, how you don't need to know where it came from or where it's going. And now as we enter a few moments of silence, bask in the pure energy of unimpeded love.
our time of meditation comes to a close. Slowly and gently we come to this time and place. Resolve to live every moment in the now of unimpeded flow of love and prepare for our final affirmative prayer. together in prayer and to connect heart to heart with one another in faith. We are one with God as we experience this abundant goodness. As we center into the peace of God, we know the power of God is at the core of our being. We go deep into this sacred space and let go of schedules, duties, plans, we allow the peace of God to fill us. This peace helps to remove any discord we might be feeling. We release any thoughts of fear and let faith begin to grow in our hearts and every inch of our being. We are so grateful for these blessings. Our prayerful thoughts <coughs> can bless the world with kindness and peace. So we hold thoughts of love and peace and send these out into the world. We unfold to the leaders and all people of the world united in prayer. Soon we will be singing, Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Men. Now, turning our thoughts to prosperity, we acknowledge the abundance of God that enriches our lives. As we hold these thoughts of abundance and blessings, we know that every need here at our beloved Unity Spiritual Center is met in perfect time and divine order. Our hearts are open to the radiant love and energy of God floating into every cell of our being. Turning inward, we feel the comfort and warmth of God in his healing presence, we know the power of love. Now, let's take time to send out this healing power of love to anyone or anything you want to hold in prayer. You may do this silently or out loud. we come back to the present, let us hold on to these thoughts of love and prosperity and blessing. And so we say, thank you, God. Amen and amen. Amen. And now I invite you to join me in our November community prayer. In prayer, I elevate my thoughts and recognize the abundance that surrounds me. 
God, I am so grateful for this precious gift called life to be a part of everything you are. And thanks for all the blessings of the day. I welcome the infinite possibilities of your good that enrich my life. Amen. My name is Margie, and I will be available after service today, along with Janice, for prayer in the sacred sanctuary. You may also put your prayers in uh, one of the prayer boxes in the back of the room or down the hall by the office. Blessings.
life. Some days I'd rather run and hide. Maybe then the pain would hide as well. Maybe then I could protect myself. But who's going to win? Is that really living? Oh, I wish I didn't know. But the answer is no. Nobody wins. If I could close my eyes and pretend I don't see, I could close my mind and pretend that I but my soul knows the truth. Life means stepping back in. I'm going to open my heart again. Man, it hurts sometimes. Nobody would win. Yeah, I could close my eyes and pretend I don't see. I could close my mind and pretend that I'm free. But my soul knows the truth. Life means stepping back in. I'm going to open my heart. I could. I'm gonna open my heart again. My wife is uh, smarter than me in all the ways that count, <laughs> and some ways that don't, but that's the subject of the two of us to discuss. Anyway, um, uh, she has a, uh, one of the many, many ways that my wife, my wife's name is Melina, one of the many ways that my wife is smarter than me is uh, what I have come to call the Melina rule. 
here's the Molina rule. You ready? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to operate on the assumption that I'm not the only person in this room who read the news this morning. Like, reads the news. We'll call it the news. Reads it on a regular basis or watches it on a regular basis. Stays on top of the day's events. Am I the only person here who does that? I'm guessing no. Raise your hand if you have no idea what's going on in the world, just on a general basis, on a regular basis. You have no idea. So there are a handful of you, yeah. The rest of you, the rest of you stay on top of it, right? Yeah. But a few of you don't. Well, Melina's rule is this. She does not either. She doesn't just raise her hand too. Uh, Melina's rule is, no matter what has happened, I'm not allowed to tell her if it will only upset her and there is nothing she can do about it. That's it. Those are the two, those are the two filters. If it will only upset her and there is nothing she can do about it, those are the two filters that I have to pass everything before I come in in righteous indignation to the other room to tell her who said what or who did what or what terrible thing has happened. And... Uh, those are two very tough filters to get through. I mean, like most things actually don't get past those filters. And uh, so we've been married uh, 14 years, and I am well used to this rule now. So no matter what I'm reading in my mind, I am not thinking, wait till Melina hears this. Because I know Melina won't hear this, most of it. And every so often, actually, I will come into the other room and say, because she does like, she posts, you know, she always says she posts on Instagram, and she's out there a little bit. She's not a hermit. She just doesn't read the news. And I'm like, I'm like, if you see any headline about this city or whatever, don't read it. And she goes, okay. Now, every so often, she'll say, okay, you got to tell me. Because I'm seeing it everywhere, you know, re references to something. you got to just tell me what happened. Every so often. But the Molina rule is pretty profound, actually. If there's nothing you can do about it, and it'll only upset you, I don't want to know. I love the, uh, who gave that, who gave that uh, prayer? I don't need to know part. Yeah. First of all, that was beautiful. Second of all, you know, I have a song called I Don't Need to Know, which I was just so close to singing, but technically it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. So it would have felt like a, a real digression, which normally wouldn't be a problem, but I know time is tight. But anyway, I just thought that was just beautiful. Every word was beautiful of your prayer today. Um, really was, to me. Um, but so Melina's rule is essentially that, right? Um, now, as I talked about last night, I mentioned this morning a little bit, I am, uh, I am a child of two lawyers. I'm, I'm supposed to stay on top of current events. Uh, not raised by hippies, not raised to be a hippie, uh, not raised to float through life like uh, we're going to do this water workshop this afternoon, not how I was raised at all. Re that represents a radical departure from the way I was raised to think and be. In fact, more specifically, I was raised to think a lot, process, analyze, reason. I mean, my parents are lawyers. My dad's a civil rights law professor, one of the most controversial and sort of fascinating. I wish I had been a little bit older to fully understand, or at least to more understand, more fully understand what was happening in the Namath family, for example, 
and I think it was 1979, we lived in Skokie, Illinois, where I grew up. If you've heard of Skokie and you don't know why, it's because there was a movie called Skokie. And why was there a movie called Skokie? Because Skokie, Illinois, when I grew up, was about 40 or 50 percent Jewish, which I am Jewish, and much of that 40 or 50 percent was Holocaust surviving Jews, which my family is as well. And one day, the Nazi party of Illinois announced they were going to march down Main Street in downtown Skokie. Okay? So, made a lot of people angry. Especially the Holocaust surviving Jews living in Skokie. My dad is a First Amendment constitutional law expert. Truly an international expert on the, the American First Amendment. Freedom of speech. Freedom of assembly. He landed on the side of them having the right to march. Because they did. They didn't end up marching, but that's the kind of logical way I was raised to, to be. My dad had to process this thing, this Nazi party announcement, through his reasoning and his legal understanding rather than his emotions. So I wasn't raised to open my heart again. No, no. No open hearts. Um, I'm not even, saying, not even sure open minds were called for. You know, I was raised in a pretty traditional Jewish home. Anybody here raised in a traditional religion of any kind? Were, were open minds encouraged particularly? No, not so much. Um, by the way, I'm not trying to shame the notion that adhering to a beautiful tradition, whether whatever religion is or whatever tradition is, adhering to a beautiful tradition, raising your kids strictly in it doesn't, doesn't necessarily do them a good service. I mean, I'm not saying absolute uh, authoritarianism is a good thing. But we know what a good boy or girl acts like, and, and traditional families do sometimes make them that. So I'm not putting that notion down. All three of the boys in the Neymar family, me and my two brothers, we were raised to be, you know, kind of nice people and law-abiding, tax-paying citizens, you know what I mean? We hold the door for strangers. We were, were, we were raised to be nice boys because we were not given the flexibility to not be. You know what I mean? So I'm not, I'm not putting it down. I'm not putting it down in the, in the general sense. Um, but for me, uh, I was always yearning for uh, a deeper feeling rather than, rather than strict uh, adherence to a theology or to a tradition that just didn't make sense. And I'm sure many of you in here felt the same way in whatever tradition you were raised. You might have liked the feeling, but you didn't love the rules, you know, or some of the teaching. Um, anyway, but I digress, which is just the way I am. Maddening to many, including me, but there it is, um, free association. Um, so to return to, to, return to uh, the point I'm going to attempt to circuitously make here, um, I can't tell Melina the news, and there is a direct correlation between our relative happiness and our relative awareness of the news. Meaning, she's happier than I am most of the time, because because what we call news, you and I both know, it's designed, especially 
I mean, you know, maybe not in the Walter Cronkite era, maybe not, but certainly now it's a for-profit venture. And uh, they have very, very astute psychologists working over at the news stations and their, net and their websites. They know exactly what keeps you clicking, just like Google does and just like, you know, Apple does. You know, they know, so they do, because that's the business they're in. Um, so so me reading the news, it give ma gives me that Maymod family feeling of being up on the news. You know, like my dad, you know, I can still picture my whole childhood. My dad, uh, we would get the New York Times every day, but especially in the Sunday New York Times, we weren't allowed to touch it until he had finished reading it. I mean, the whole freaking thing, it's like an inch and a half thick. Have you ever seen the Sunday New York Times? So staying informed felt, feels, felt noble. You know what I mean? Like, like being good citizens. Got it. But is it good for the citizens to have their hope and optimism and idealism eroded on a daily basis by what passes for the news because it is, uh, you know, seductive enough to keep us reading it. I don't think it's good. That unjaded song I opened with un intentionally. Um, I don't know if you can relate. You know, uh, my skin is definitely changing. I'm 53, and it's a little disappointing to see that my hands are starting to look a little bit, a little wrinkly, a little old man hands. But for sure. But that's okay. That's life. But. Inside, I do not want my skin to get thicker, and it does. It gets harder and harder to care. I get more and more dazzled. Maybe you do too. Do you, do you get more and more dazzled as the years go by by kids who are fully invested in something idealistic? It like looks more and more remote for me, more and more amazing that somebody would totally invest in a garage sale to raise money for the panda of disease. And you're like, wow, I can't remember the last time I cared that much about something. You know, was willing to just lay out a day or a month for a campaign of some kind um, or, or, or march and protest or something. It gets, for me, it gets harder and harder to imagine. I mean, I'm being serious. It's like I, 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 I'm sad even saying it. It's harder and harder for me to imagine caring that much about something. Or maybe more precisely, because I care, but believing that there's any point in doing, in marching, or in donating $5 to this or $100 to that. You know, voting gets harder and harder. I was an economics major. I studied political, uh, political economics. And there's something called the voter's paradox. The voter's paradox is, the paradox is that we vote at all knowing that mathematically our individual vote makes no difference at all, right? And there's almost no chance that one vote decides anything. And yet we keep voting. That's, it is paradoxical to think about it. But voting itself is an act of idealism, isn't it? It's an act of participation in a system where most of us, let's face it, you and I, anytime we try to call the Social Security Administration or, or figure out our property taxes or or whatever, I mean, we feel way on the outside of the big system looking in, most of us, most of the time. We are on the outside of the big system, but on voting day, we stand in line. And we actually do it, even though 
again, statistically, mathematically, logically, it makes no sense. But we do it. And it's, and it's, a, it's a moment of real pride. I mean, what other day do people put a sticker on their lapel, you know? I mean, except the kids at the dentist. You, you know, you and I, you and I don't put stickers, right? We don't put stickers on our shirts saying, hell yeah, I bought coffee today. But we do say, I voted today. It is a, it is, it's a, a, a glimmer, a glimpse of, and maybe that was what was so sad, actually, I'm digressing again. Maybe that was what was so sad about that last election, uh, the last presidential election. There was so much anger and division, and that feeling was, was, was obliterated so loud, I think, among people. The feeling, of just a noble, beautiful feeling of idealism that comes with participating, with marching, with protesting, with donating, you know, being part of something lovely just for the sake of it. Something that feels important that matters just for the sake of it. frequently happens with me, I run out of time. Not for uh, the things I want to say, but um, if it's okay to go a little bit long today, I'll tell you a quick story and then some, then I'll tell you a story. Um, you know, I don't remember if I've told this story to you guys on video. Lord knows there have been a lot of videos. And, um, and actually, let me just publicly say right now to all of you, it meant a lot to me, to me, to be a part of your last couple of years um, from a distance. I, of the three of us, my, me, my wife, me, and my boy Jude, I had by far the easiest time. Jude had the hardest time. Very tired. Watching a happy boy become a dad. But for me, I felt useless in that little brother time. And a, a big part of why I felt useful was I got phone calls and emails asking me to still sing my songs. And that was you. Never mind the fact that the church sent me a little bit of money, which was, I don't even, I don't even need to go into how important a little bit of income was when my entire livelihood and my wife's jewelry was, she, she doesn't sell it at Shea's, she sells it at my place. But when I, my Shea's went to empty, our family income went to zero. Zero. Like all of these. So, Never mind the money side, which was also beautiful and important. But the invitations to sing gave me a feeling like I still existed in the world as a songwriter with something to say and some help to offer. So no, 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 nothing, nothing um, scripted about what I'm saying here. I truly, it truly meant a lot to me to feel helpful to your community over the last two or three years. My wife had a different husband, and my son had a different dad because of it, because I felt helpful and purposeful. So thank you for that, truly. Um, so, yeah. Um, so uh, the question, uh, the question I want to land on here with all this talk about thick skin and thin skin and being too jaded to care or to try. The question I want to land on is, do you and do I still dare to care about something? Do we risk it? Do we still dare to care? Do 
because it is a vulnerability of faith. Life hurts, and the more you care, the more it hurts. It's, it's not an it's not a um, a fluke that you know armadillos have exoskeletons. You know what I mean? We all have exoskeletons, and they get thicker the more harm we encounter. And that is just logical. That is the reasonable response to pain, is to guard and protect and buy an alarm system and hire private security, literally or metaphorically. Do we dare still to care? And um, the thing that I land on through the Marina filter of if there's nothing I can do about it and it will only upset me, I don't want to know. Since he doesn't not want to know, Charles of the Government is, he doesn't not want to know about things he can do something about. That's a part of the theme of the marina here. He wants to know if there's something he can do about it. He was the first person to roll down the window to somebody standing on the corner and hand them a $5 bill. And we don't have extra $5 bills. But he's the banker. He's that person. He just doesn't want to know if there's nothing he can do about it. So then the question becomes, what is it you and I can do? Reading the news, very rarely do you and I read the news and encounter an article that is about something that we can do something about. I mean, that's just not what it's for. It's not the activist gazette. You know what I mean? It's half a world away. It's a natural disaster. It's a terrorist attack. It's a war. It fails the two Molina tests. It's going to upset you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I always ask myself, can the United Nations solve that problem? Because they've got thousands of full-time professionals fully devoted to world peace. And here I am sitting in my home in California thinking that I should be upset. And, uh, I mean, it's going to ruin my day for what? I, they can't solve it. And that's like their full-time commitment. Thousands, billions of dollars. They have their own army. And they can't stop conflict. And I, why am I sitting in my bedroom despairing about something so remote from not just, forget about caring. Of course I care. But who do anything about, like truly nothing. You know, if I send $10 to the Red Cross, feels lovely. But governments give millions of dollars to the Red Cross. I'm not saying my $10 does nothing, but maybe there's a local place for my $10 where it would be felt. You know, you know what I mean? I, I, I mean, I'm just, I, I, I'm on the outside looking in of these, of these terrible events about which I can do nothing. Meanwhile, someone's sleeping on the street down the block from me, in my, down the block from my house. That I can do something about. That person I can bring a couple granola bars and a bottle of water. I can read the news and be wrenched as to the state of children around the country. And Public schools are a mess, and child poverty is, and child hunger. No measure. How can how can you even describe the heart? How how much it breaks the heart, right? But there's there are kids in my boys' school 
who are shown to feel shown up to feel hungry. Maybe I drop off a, a, a box or something from Costco that they can pick up for free. You know what I'm saying? That I can do. If if you know, you can't, I can't I can't make every child in America happy, but I can certainly do my best with my own boy. That I can do. By the way, I can't even raise a happy child. Today, I can be as good a dad as I can be. You know, you know I, sometimes I think, like, you don't lose, like, I could, I've gained a ton of weight, right? So, but you don't lose 30 pounds. You cut back on one meal. And then you do it again the next meal. And you and I both know how hard it is. Because it is, in fact, an ongoing, slow-rolling decision we have to make at every meal. You can't decide to lose 30 pounds. You can't decide to have a happy marriage. You can decide today to not be a jerk or to bring home flowers or to do the dishes when it's unexpected. You cannot make a happy marriage. You make one day, and then tomorrow you do it again. Small scale, baby steps. Reading the news makes us feel like the world is falling down around us and simultaneously that there's nothing we can do about it. What a miserable place to live versus... Oh, today I can give my kid a hug he wasn't expecting. And I'll tell you, honest to God, it, it, it breaks my heart when I do it because I can see how much he loves it. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? You know, like I'll say, like I'll toss off, Jude, I'll, you know, sometimes I think of it. A lot of times I don't. I walk in the room and I say, Jude, you know what? You are a good kid. And five minutes later, he'll come over and hug me. I love you, Daddy. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do that anymore. And it, it's available. Those moments, th that opportunity is available on a daily basis. Not to create a war and world away, but to make your neighbor feel more loved. Roll their garbage bin uh, away from the street for them. You know, put a quarter in somebody's meter when the cop isn't watching because apparently it's illegal. You know? These little, the little things... That we can manage. That's the stuff. That's the stuff of daily vulnerability. Reading the news and being upset about it, is, as far as I'm concerned, is like a self-flagellation. It's a, it's a, uh, it's despair-inducing. But doing something small and nice, that's connection-inducing. That's sweet life. That's like the good stuff of life. Is the little stuff. If you think about all the little stuff you've ever done for people that felt good, or Maybe maybe easier to think of the little stuff that's been done for you. The little things. The little favors. Somebody brought you a lasagna when you were on your own or something. And you think, right, those things are locked in forever. I remember certain little, I've been around the country singing 25 years. I still remember Andy in, in Sebring, Florida. I showed up, I, did, I was doing five concerts in three days driving like two or three hours in between each one. Andy knew. I didn't tell Andy. Andy knew that I was. And how do I know that he knew? Because I showed up at the gig, and he had collected a, a bag, a driver, like a driving food bag. Grapes, bagel and cream cheese, uh, some cookies, because he knows I'm a junk food addict, apparently, because I talk about it a lot on Facebook. Um a couple of bottles of water. I got into the car that night after my concert there 
that bag saved my life. I had no time to eat, and on every bite I took, I felt loved by Andy. I'll never forget it. It was about 10 years ago he did that for me. Who, who does that? Who, who rinses grapes and puts together a couple of bagels and a, a package of kimchi for a stranger? Unforgettable. You and I have that opportunity on a daily basis. So Jude is 11, and he started school, and Sharon wants to say, is it okay that I'm going late? Are you guys fine? Uh, I'm sorry. Is it okay? Okay. All right. Um, I really am going to wrap up with a song here.